Welcome to Counterintelligence. This is Eric LeVay. Today's guest is Bellingcat investigator Giancarlo Fiorella. Thanks to patrons Dana Berry, Andre Dunka, William Healy, Angela Jackson, Zacharias Z. Score Kaminsky, Sasha Millstone, Craig Pierce, Greg Schneider, and Jason Zimmerman. Giancarlo Fiorella, welcome to Counterintelligence. How are you today, man? Good. Thanks for having me. Great. John, it's uh, great to talk to you. Uh, you're an investigator at Bellingcat, the uh, very popular home of online investigations. Actually, I just want to say first, I absolutely love what you guys do, and I just want to thank you for that. Oh, no, uh, thank you. I'm happy to hear that. Thank you. Yeah, and, and for everyone who's listening, I, th- I think probably most people listening to this show know what Bellingcat is, but if you if you don't, uh, ju- they're just the home of online and uh, I guess what, what people would call open source investigations. Would that be accurate, uh, Giancarlo? Yeah, yeah, that's pretty accurate, yeah. Yeah, so basically, it's it's using uh, open source material uh, to uh, to investigate, and as opposed to what people might think of more in traditional journalism, uh, that kind of thing. Um, and they, you guys do some outstanding work. You also, I also want to say, you operate what's called the Inven as well, a blog. Is that correct? Yeah, that's right. That's actually, uh, yeah, related to how I got started in Bellingcat. It's um, um, it's an English news website um, that I run by myself, and I've been doing it since 2014. Um, it's also how I got started in the PhD program in which I'm currently uh, enrolled. So um, yeah, I've been working on that. It's a bit of a passion project for, for years and years now. Yeah, I wanted to make sure we highlighted that because, of course, Bellingcat being super world famous, that's, I'm sure, how most of the, that's, that's how your uh, people refer to you most of the time. But I mean, can you just, why don't you tell us a little bit about the blog and sort of what you do there? Yeah, thanks. Uh, right. So I started that uh, back in 2014 uh, in February when the first wave of nationwide um, anti-government protests began of the Maduro era. And I noticed at that time that there really wasn't that much English English coverage of these protests. Um, I live in Canada and I would sometimes, you know, I might see something like once a day. There would be a 10 second snippet on the evening news. Um from Venezuela. And I knew that so much had gone on that day in the country. So I was actually inspired by Bellingcat to, uh, to, I mean, what was going to become Bellingcat, because this is a little bit before the website launched. But that community that was that was um, cementing and um, uh, around the Brown Moses blog that would eventually become Bellingcat is what inspired me to start a blog um, where I could just look to open sources um, you know, reports that people were uh, sending out on Twitter, images and videos from protests. And what I would do is I would go and spend a lot of time on Twitter and on Venezuelan media sites and just compile summaries of what happened that day with pictures and videos. Um, and I've, I've been doing that since I said uh, 2014, mostly every day, although I'm really busy these days. So sometimes I'll skip a couple of days. Um, but as I said, it's a it's a passion project, and it's what got me started. I think both in Bellingcat and in my um, graduate studies. And you're a native of Venezuela, is that correct? Before you moved to Canada, correct. Yeah, I was I was born there, and um, I moved here when I was about twelve. Yeah, so I've been I've been up here for quite a bit now. Yeah, I see. Well, it's really something to follow the news about uh, the things that have gone on there, and it's it's great that you're bringing that to the uh, you know the English speaking world for not all of us who are, are fluent in Spanish. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, thanks. Perfect. And so it was after that, actually, that you started working with Bellingcat. Is that correct? Yeah. So I, I, I sort of toiled away uh, with very little recognition, which is fine. I mean, I had I, when I started the blog, I said, if I can get one person a day to read about what's happening there and learn something, then then I'm doing my job. So most days I was hitting the one person target on my blog. And uh, it wasn't until about 2018 by then, I had already been doing this for about four years, and I had built a little bit, like a, the smallest sort of Twitter following, and in a very niche corner of Twitter, I was known as a Venezuela expert. Um, and there was an event in Venezuela in 2018, um, the, the Oscar Perez case. Um, he was a, a police officer who became a rebel leader, and um, he was killed in a very high-profile raid on um, January 15th of 2018. And that day, I I, uh, I was live tweeting the raid. Uh, he was releasing videos. I was translating them. And um, by the end of the day, I, I was contacted by um, Aliyam Leroy, who's now at the BBC Africa Eye. And he was with at that time with Bellingcat. And he introduced himself and said, hey, I'm with Bellingcat. I'm, I'm trying to write something about what's happening today. I know that you write about Venezuela. Do you want to help out? Are you available to help out? 
And uh, I said yes, and and that's how I became involved with Bellingcat. That's amazing. Uh, I've been a part of a number of uh, high-profile investigations of forensic news, but uh, uh, usually, well, my inbox is uh, definitely an interesting place. So (laughs) we get get some interesting messages. Uh, So today you're here uh, to talk about your new piece, uh, The Invasion of... (laughs) It's really, this is just one of those, all of us right now are stuck indoors and... There's a lot going on. I I admire the journalists who are covering the pandemic. Yeah. I just straight up have like no interest in covering it because we're living it. Um, mm-hmm. And I want to talk about other things on the show. And then this sort of amazing story came along. Uh, this, the piece is called The Invasion of Venezuela, brought to you by Silver Corp USA. So why don't you just tell us, start wherever you want in this truly uh, only in America type of story. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I mean, it's a really bizarre um, story. Uh, you know, as I've been saying, I've been I've been following closely the news from Venezuela since since 2014. I, I, I was I was born there. I have family there. I did my master's um, um, major research project back in uh, about 10 years ago on, on Venezuelan issues. So I've, I've been around the Venezuelan news sphere for for a while. And this is probably the most bizarre story, surreal story that I've uh, heard coming out of the country. Um, I don't know where to start, um, on, on, I guess I'll start on, um, <laughs> it's hard. what I think is the beginning. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, on Sunday morning, the Venezuelan minister of the interior held a press conference and he said that, um, they had intercepted some ships, um, it's, I'm sorry, one ship that had come from Colombia, he said, and it was carrying mercenaries, terrorist mercenaries, he said, and they were there to, uh, conduct an amphibious raid and um, take out the, the president and, and, and other high-ranking members of the ruling party. Uh, when that article, ca- when that press conference took place on Sunday morning, um, I think a lot of people, and certainly myself, thought to um, a, a piece that had been published in the Associated Press just two days earlier on May 1st. And in this piece, um, Joshua Goodman, the author, he talks about how there was this um, company called Silvercore USA, and there was this guy called Jordan Goudreau, who was trying to um, essentially sort of create a kind of a mercenary strike force that would do this, that would go to Venezuela, infiltrate the country, you know, topple the government. And so when that news came out on Sunday morning, uh, a lot of people, I think, remembered that article and they thought, okay, was this it? Is this the, this invasion that we got a glimpse of in, in the article from the Associated Press? I personally didn't think so because the Venezuelan government has often, you know, the, g- blamed Colombia or they've said that there was a plot underway or they said that, you know, uh, something was about to happen and it didn't happen. So I didn't believe it. There wasn't enough evidence at that moment that this was this Goudreau guy. Then we started to see pictures come out from this uh, operation. Uh, we learned that about eight people had been killed and some had been car- uh, captured, about 13 of them. Uh, we started to see pictures of weapons and, and equipment that had been seized as part of this operation. And I, again, even by then, I was very skeptical because I thought, uh, well, you know, there's a lot of uh, criminal gangs that operate in Venezuela. There's lots of drug trafficking uh, organizations that are operating there. So these weapons could belong to some kind of gang, and the government's trying to paint them as belonging to this invasion force. And then it was on Sunday afternoon that Goudreau himself surfaced in a video alongside um, uh, a former National Guard captain. And they, and they said, yeah, that was us this morning, that thing that you read about, about the raid and the terrorist mercenaries that we did that. <laughs> And the operation's ongoing, and keep watching the news because more more stuff is going to happen. And it was just um, such a surreal few hours because to see these guys come out and take responsibility in such a brazen way, and then tell it, you know, hint that more stuff is coming, it was just shocking. Yeah, we really and thank you so much. That was like a perfect uh, summary of of the first. Uh, there's a lot more that that happens, but that yeah. that sums up the beginning and. Yeah, just just like for the audience, you just we just have to highlight the really what made the story take off is the just you know I'm sure they'll make a movie out of this eventually, and just the absolute absolute I don't know what the word is just the incom incompetence isn't even the word uh, <laughs> it's beyond that it's we we're all aware of the United States well uh, documented history of uh, coups in Latin America. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
But just for those of you listening right now, if, if you're not up on this story, cause, which is understandable because everything going on, just imagine like the, the dumbest group of Cone Brothers villains in a movie who are actually real people who just tried to overthrow Nicolas Maduro. Uh, I mean, can you speak to and just let's just speak just uh, to have a little just on that note. Can you speak to their social media posts and the stuff that these guys are doing on Instagram and Twitter? Yeah. yeah so. Right. So what we once Silvercore USA and Goudreau were on video saying this was us. Uh, we did this. Um, we started to, uh, you know, check out their website and their social media presence. Um, we found uh, through their website that they had, uh, Goudreau had provided security to a couple of Trump rallies. And we there was some C-SPAN footage of, of Goudreau, like, hanging out in the background of a, of a Trump rally in, in uh, North Carolina once, uh, providing security. Um, and then they had, uh, he, the Instagram account, I think, is still up. And they had a just sort of... I guess weird pictures. Uh, by weird, I mean like you know posts, really staged photos of like him being a tough army guy, mm-hmm. um, and, and it was just it's it just added sort of more confusion to the yeah. to this very early developing uh, development. Um, uh, these very early developments about like who like who is this guy exactly? Right? <laughs> like is somebody like a serious? Is this a real person? Number one, is this like a serious individual who's actually trying to do this? Um, and uh, I mean, later on, we found out um, throughout the week, uh, there's a researcher on, on Twitter who um, is cited in, in the second article that was published about this on our website. Uh, the website was their website, the Silvercore website was was plagiarizing other websites. And, and the Silvercore USA Terms of Service Agreement is lifted entirely from the masterclass. Terms <laughs> That's of amazing. Yeah, and like the hyperlinks on the Silvercore USA <laughs> terms of service, read, like they direct to Masterclass because they didn't even change, like they just copied and pasted it on their own website. And it turns out that they plagiarized a couple of other websites, including the Department of Homeland Security. So it, it's just, you know, we struggled a lot in, in, in those early hours to try to like paint a picture and just get like take in who is Silver, like what is Silvercore USA? Who's this Jordan Goudreau guy? And it seemed like at every turn, the story got weirder and more ridiculous and more absurd. Yeah, they pick masterclass, which is those ads that are always popping up on your Facebook feed, telling you to take a course with Martin Scorsese in filmmaking. Uh, that's that's pretty much what they plagiarize their terms and conditions of. What's weird too is that at some point, this Jordan Goudreau and at least two of the other guys, like I just I have to say, like from what I read, at some point, like they were skilled soldiers, and he's. They have numerous like decorations. I think the guy is like what three bronze stars. Uh, yeah, yeah. So the Associated Press piece from um, May first said that he has uh, yeah three bronze stars. Um, that he w- was he's a combat veteran from Afghanistan and Iraq. And there's testimony from people who knew him both in that piece and in subsequent pieces and other publications that say that you know people say like no he's actually a good soldier like he's really intense and he really took his job seriously and you know he I can't remember the publication right now but I remember hearing something some some testimony from somebody who knew him who was like this is the guy you want beside you in a battle. Uh, <laughs> so you know I. I you know, I, I believe those reports. Like, you can be a good soldier, but it doesn't mean. I mean, maybe those skills don't don't yeah. translate to like <laughs> whatever mercenary world he was trying to get into, right? No, it's true. I mean, at some point, things went obviously horribly wrong. But it is an interesting part of the story because you would have when I when I started reading it, when I read your piece, and then started to read some of the other ones. I thought that we were going to read about it. Although I did read that I guess there was an allegation of fraud when he was in the military. Yeah. Um, I don't know if you want to speak to that. Yeah, I, again, I, I mean, this is just what I read in in in, in the AP. Uh, mm-hmm. But he was um, accused of fraud at some point. Uh, but I believe that 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 charge was sort of settled, uh, like it didn't go to trial. I, I think uh, it's in the Associated Press uh, piece press yeah. piece if you want to check it out. But uh, yeah, there was that fraud allegation earlier on. Yeah, exactly. So maybe something. Uh... I, I suspect probably something did happen there, given what we're looking at now. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, we, we, we thought that maybe he was a, a kind of a Trumpist grifter, you know, like there's so many of those around uh, right now because of what's going on in the White House. So we thought that this, I mean, he could be, uh, this could be part of the story, uh, that he's just somebody who's thought, okay, how do I, like, what can I do? Like, how can I scam people basically into giving me tons and tons of money, right? Like, how can I sell my skills, maybe like over, like really oversell my skills, uh, who who would pay me for this sort of stuff? And I think he uh, he found a way to inject himself into into the Venezuelan crisis, and 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 this is what happened. And I do have to highlight the absolute what I'm sure if they do make you know. And I just I do want to say something else as as comical as some of this is. I understand about eight men were killed in this, yeah. which is really. Yeah. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. At least eight, and right, and and this is, I mean, this is part of the dynamic of the story, right? I mean, it is a tragic story, and it also plays into the tragedy again of the Venezuelan crisis, right? It's a country that's seen such a unprecedented um, uh, collapse, socioeconomic collapse, over the last several years. Uh, you know, millions of people have been basically forced to leave the country. Um, there's lacks of base, uh, a lack of basic necessities, uh, like even electricity and water. Uh, and so uh, that's the backdrop to all of this, right? Plus the deaths that were recorded on on Sunday, um, right? As as um, as hilarious as some of these social media posts are, it's ultimately many uh, men were killed, which is a tragedy because of yeah. the decisions made here, and that's it's a, it's a terrible thing. Yeah, uh, I'm not sure. If, I assume that they were not. None of the articles said that they were uh, Americans, so I assume they were. Were they Venezuelan soldiers or? Uh, yeah, then, yes, yeah. that's as far as we can tell. Um, the other sort of side of this as well is that um, Silver Corps USA, you know, they, this, they weren't the only actor in this, right? Um, part of the story also has to do with the fact that there are, um, you know, hundreds, at least hundreds of Venezuelan uh, soldiers who have left, you know, they've, uh, just, you know, they've left the army, they've, they've left the country. Many of them have made their way to Colombia. And um, we had heard in media reports from last year uh, that uh, they were trying to organize themselves into some sort of fighting force to conduct military operations inside Venezuela. So this is something that had been happening before Goudreau showed up, right? I think Goudreau maybe was a catalyst um, for this operation. Um, but he's not the, you know, he wasn't the guy who came up with the idea for it. This is an idea that, again, as a result of the Venezuelan crisis, other people have had and have been working with for for a while uh, from Colombia. And I also have to highlight when this whole thing went down, and this is like, if they do make a movie out of this, this is probably going to be like, I would imagine the first, you know, the as someone who has a background in uh, sort of in screenwriting, uh, mm-hmm. my understanding is when this went down and these guys are are... I guess assume landing on a beach somewhere. Goudreau, Jordan Goudreau was in Florida in a luxury condo in Miami. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so basically he was in Florida. Yeah, and he said in an interview uh, on that was published on Sunday, and I believe it was recorded on Sunday. This is an interview with a Venezuelan journalist. Um, he said, um, "You know, uh, I'm trying to wreck. Like, I want nothing more than to be on the ground with my man fighting, and I'm, I'm trying to rectify that, right? Like, he's in, right? He's in Florida, like super comfortable, probably, right? And like, essentially, sending people to get killed and then captured and potentially, you know, probably tortured, right? And he's like, yeah, yeah, I'm, tr- I'm totally trying to get down there. Like, you know, just give me a, sh- a chance, right?" <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> that's the guy you want with you in uh, battle for sure. Right. Like I'll be, yeah. right. I'll be right there. Yeah, um, my understanding is that he actually said it, he he said he blamed basically the coronavirus uh, pandemic for why he couldn't like travel. Um, uh, is, if did he? I hadn't seen that. Yeah, uh, that, it makes sense. Yeah, I mean, that that was in one of the articles, but they they weren't clear. <laughs> I know it's like you you can't make this up. I, I wasn't clear there on whether they were saying like travel from America or there was. I think I, I don't have it in front of me, but I, I think that they were saying, and I don't b- believe this, but that mm-hmm. it was crossing the border from, I don't know, Colum- anyway, I'll, I'll have to look for that. Sure, and, uh, yeah, yeah. No, um, but I mean, you would think that somebody who's so, I don't know, like yeah. it seems like it's an issue that you might be able to get around if you're like a private mercenary who's trying to topple a government. Like if you can't get around yeah. some travel restrictions because of, of coronavirus, and you probably aren't going to be toppling anybody. Oh, yeah, I was, I, you, I couldn't have said that any, like, better. Like, that's exactly what I was thinking. Like, that's probably not the guy you want to... Right. <laughs> the, the plan itself was just so... I mean, it's, it's not a plan, and it, 
it really just makes you think of, I mean, there's no way everyone spoke about the Bay of Pigs, of course. Yeah. But I also thought about, you know, I think it was the first um, Iraq war when, you know, Bush one told the, you know, it's the same thing. It's the, it's the American thing. He told the Iraqis to rise up, mm. didn't back them up and they got, they got killed. I mean, it's, yeah. it's, it's an amazing parallel. Yeah, I think, um, I mean, Goudreau has said this, that part of the plan here was to inspire Venezuelan soldiers to do that, to rise up. And um, I I mean, obviously, it it didn't work. Um, I think maybe they had hoped to to, that the, the raid would have been so daring and so like well executed that that it that that would have inspired people. Uh, but it was so such a disaster. I mean, at every at every level that, of, you know, nobody in their right mind would have said, oh, yeah, I want to join these guys. Right. And and in that, I think there's parallels to the Oscar Perez story, uh, you know, just to go back a little bit, because I, I mean, I think that is part of this as well. The, the, Oscar Perez, again, the, this rebel leader that I mentioned earlier, He's he's a bit of a of a mythical figure now in uh, in Venezuela because he um, when he burst onto the scene he was very explicit in his in his videos um, that he wanted people to join him so he would explicitly call people in the military and he would say look I'm out here risking my life uh, because I I want to change the government like I want to get rid of this government and I know you are listening to me I know you're upset too and I and I'm asking you who are listening to join me do something about it come with me right and um, Oscar Perez died making that call uh, literally because he live streamed his uh, death essentially during this raid on January 15th that, that claimed his life and the cl- and the life of his of his uh, companions, and that ha- that f- the fact that Oscar Perez called for people to join him and nobody did, uh, I think left an impact in a, in a in a section of the Venezuelan opposition, and I think maybe Goudreau maybe knew that and he wanted to take advantage of that maybe and say look okay don't don't do to Oscar to me what you did to Oscar Perez right. I think that I think that maybe has something to do with this, but but that was part of the plan from according to Jordan. Like I wanted people to join us to see what we were doing and to join us. That's that's fascinating. And now I know, and a lot of people listening to this, we're going to have to go. I'm I, I'm not really familiar with the Oscar Perez uh, story, and now I'm going to have to, of course, after we're done, go go read about it. Uh, yeah, it's it's uh, it's. I, I think before the, the event of this weekend, the Oscar Perez saga was probably the most surreal. One out of Venezuela, but I think this this the Goudreau one t- that tops it. Yeah, and again, it's funny you come back to it is the hallmark of a leader. And again, just just knowing what you're telling me about Oscar Perez, that you know he was there uh, in the middle yeah. of it when he was killed, yeah. and this other guy is yeah. again was in a luxury condo. Yeah, uh, not not exactly the same thing to say the least. Yeah, 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 for sure. And I w- I just want to ask you, was Oscar Perez was he killed by, I assume, pro-government Maduro's yeah. people? Yeah, so he was found in a safe house um, in just west uh, of Caracas. And uh, it was a really, um, it was a huge military operation. Uh, there were, you know, lots of different agencies involved. They surrounded the safe house and they reduced it to rubble over the course of the morning. And um, as I said, uh, Oscar Perez um had an Instagram account at that time and he was every once in a while like updating as the firefight was going on around him updating his account with videos um, and and again calling people to get out like you know saying like they're shooting at us right now we're in it we're in this place come help us um, and it's a really it's a it was a really um, as I said sort of um, a, a mark I left a mark I think in the in in the psyche of, of the country in a certain way amazing so maybe after that People, it made people think um, about a man like that, and then possibly, unfortunately, that left some room for someone like uh, these people we're talking about to come in. I think uh, so. Yeah, I think as I said, they were trying to take advantage of that, or 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 have people join them in a way that they didn't join Oscar Paris. But yeah, can we speak now to the which the strange and possible? Well, I don't know. It seems like more than possible. You tell me. Can you speak to the U.S. government involvement in this and? Uh, yeah, it seems like something's going on here. Well, people. Uh, so from what I've seen, I I don't see any evidence of 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 involvement f- from from the White House. I'll tell you what I have read um, about this. So I mean, first of all, is the fact that Goudreau 
provided his company provided security at some Trump rallies. That is a fact. Like we've seen it um, in videos, right? Um, and so that in itself is an evidence of any kind of um, collaboration between the White House and Silver Core USA in this, in this uh, case, because um, Trump famously employs a lot of private security firms at events, right? So this is just one of many companies that he's used for for private security. Um, I did read, read a report um, from Jack Murphy uh, on Twitter, and he uh, published an article that's where he said that the CIA, I, I, I'm pretty sure, I'm not misremembering this, I'm pretty sure this was Jack Murphy who wrote this, uh, who said that the CIA knew that this that this was happening, like they, they had heard about it, and they tried to talk... Um, Goudreau and his people from doing it, uh, and obviously they didn't listen. So you know, there's, I guess it depends on what you mean by involvement, right? Like, are we talking about you know a U.S. government agency like behind the scenes planning this and and you know pulling the sh uh, pulling the cords and the strings and calling the shots? Um, that's one kind of involvement, I guess. Uh, is is if they did know, if the CIA did know that this was happening and they didn't do everything they could to stop it, is that another kind of involvement? That's another discussion, right? Uh, but but the the closest I think that I've read about is, is that this is the latter option, that the CIA knew about this, um, again, this, as was reported in this article, and they tried to talk them out of doing it and it didn't work. Thanks a lot for clarifying that. And yeah, the, the, always the facts are, are number one on this show and, and uh, in what we do. Yeah. As uh, you know, investigators, and that's the so I, I appreciate that, and I agree. It my I, I from what I read, and also reading, uh, Secretary of State Mike Pompeo had sort of a, I guess would you characterize it as a? It was an odd statement. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, basically, where he said, I, I don't I don't have it exactly in front of me, but basically. I don't know. Do you want to speak to that? What it's just, you mean when he said, um, so he was asked, did you guys do this? And he said, uh, we did. We had no involvement in this, no direct involvement in this. <laughs> yeah, and then he made that joke. He said, if we had done this, it would have gone like a lot differently. Is that the, what you're referencing? Yeah, that's the one. Yeah. That's yeah. The one. Yeah. I mean, in a certain way, I think, okay, like let's, let's sort of play, uh, the, the, you know, devil's advocate, I guess. Like what, what if they had, you know, if they had done this, if the U S had done this and it, and it was a failure, which it is, uh, the perfect cover would be no, no, no. If we had really done it, it would have been better. Right. So even if they had, even if the U S government had orchestrated this, the perfect cover I think would be. It wasn't us, because look, look how messed up it came out, right? <laughs> so, but I, again, I'm not saying that there was U U.S. involvement. Again, I, I haven't seen any evidence of that, sure. right? Uh, but I guess, um, yeah, it's a kind of a weird boast, right? Like a sort of a weird flex. Like, no, if we had done this, like Maduro would be taken out already, right? I don't know. Yeah, just just speculating. I think, and again, this is just me speculating, uh, and hopefully we we will learn the full story, but. Given our given our intelligence capabilities and also the fact that it, it and we can speak to this after after this that yeah. that there was involvement with Juan Guaido's uh, at least his people it seems impossible to imagine that our intelligence agencies weren't aware that something was going on and I suspect they probably just you know hey let's see what yeah. happens uh, yeah yeah no I, I think that yeah uh, you know on a balance of probabilities i'd say that's probably the case like they they knew you know they would have known that this was going on goudreau says that colombia had no the government of colombia had no idea that this was happening i don't know i mean maybe they did right after all this was uh this was happening on on colombian soil right like these supposed training camps that uh that um were staging grounds for this uh operation are, are located in colombia so maybe the colombian government also knew and and they just i don't know they didn't think it was a threat or they didn't think these guys were serious i mean i think that's a possibility too right like they thought they might have thought like no they, there's no way these clowns are actually gonna like this jordan guy is actually gonna do this right and <laughs> maybe they didn't think he was a threat and maybe there was money involved uh yeah yeah i mean, I, I mean you know we, there's so many unanswered questions and and questions that have yet to be asked um you know we're just a week into this this again, this insanely surreal story, um, and and I know I'm looking forward to uh, to seeing how this continues to develop because um, there's just so much more to be learned about this. I think. Yeah. Now, can you speak to now the involvement of uh, of of Juan Guaido, who's supported by the United States, and the I know that the Washington Post uncovered a contract between Silver Corp and them. Can you speak to that? What is yeah. what is going on with that? So. Um, 
on May 3rd, this is the Sunday, Goudreau um, shared a, a, a document that had, hit, it was essentially a contract, right? Um, it was a general, general service agreement, or, or I think was the term of it. And if I remember correctly, it was about seven pages long. And it outlined in sort of vague terms this agreement between Silver Core USA and the Venezuelan opposition. Uh, it had a money amount. It had a $212 or $213 million dollar uh, uh, price tag, I guess, for this these services that Silver Core USA would provide to the opposition. That document was signed by three of the op- like three high-ranking opposition members, including Juan Guaido. Mm. The opposition and Guaido came out and said, "No, that's a fake document." Guaido never. He said, "I've never signed anything with this guy. Like this is not my signature." Is what he's saying. A couple of days later, the Washington Post released a 41-page document that appeared to be, I think it's a, it's, a, it's a different draft of the same one, like a longer draft maybe. Uh, and it outlines in much more detail exactly what this is. And it is, and it is very clear, I mean, beyond doubt, from, from the Washington Post's document that this was a contract for a mercenary operation, right? I mean, there's sections about that outline the rules of engagement, what's a protected building, what do you do when you capture a Venezuelan citizen, right? What kinds of weapons you can use. It was a, it was a, a contract outlining a military operation. And that contract was not signed by Guaido. It was signed by two members of his cabinet, let's call it. Um, so then we have now, so we have two documents they are very similar, but not quite the same. Uh, one of them signed by Guaido. Guaido says that's fake. The second document, um, they haven't denied. Uh, the second document, one of the people who signed it, who's the head of crisis management for Guaido says, yeah, that's my signature. I signed that document. So the official opposition stance at the moment is that Guaido's signature is basically a forgery on, on the first document. And that the second document is not a contract per se, but something like an exploratory meeting that they had with Silver Core USA. And that they stopped communicating with Silver Core USA in November of last year. So as far as the opposition is concerned, like this was a done deal back in November. Like we're not going ahead with this. This is not going to work. Forget it. Uh, You know, thanks for calling. But no. Uh, and then somehow it like it still went ahead, right? So that's that. I mean, it's a confusing sort of stance to take, and and there is a political. I mean, the 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 scale of the political backlash in Venezuela right now against Guaido is uh, is huge because it is a weird defense, right? And it is confusing. And again, there's a lot of questions there about like, okay, so how did they forge your signature, and why did you sign it in the first place, etc. Um, but that's their that's their stance. That yeah. yes talk to them. Yes, some of us did sign this document, but we stopped talking to them in November. We didn't we don't have anything to do with what's happened since November. Yeah, this whole this whole uh sort of saga debacle seems like a real a real example of why it's really like just to state the obvious, it's really not a good idea to get involved in this kind of stuff. Yeah. Like yeah, it's just not yeah. And and you know, sorry. I, I mean there's so much going on here. I'm, I'm 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 talking too much, but let me let me No, 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 you are not talking too much. And by the way, you can't talk too much on a on a podcast. On a podcast. Oh, yeah, sorry, we're not live yet. Uh on, okay, so here's here's another sort of twist to this. Back in March of of this year, uh this is late March. Cleaver uh, Alcala who is the man who worked alongside Goudreau in Colombia. This was confirmed by the Associated Press article from May 1st. Uh, Cleaver Alcala, he was a, he's a former major general in the Venezuelan army. He was a lifelong Chavez loyalist. He fought alongside Chavez in 1992 during the coup. Uh, and he was always, he's always been a Chavista. When Maduro got elected, he lost his position in the military. He became a bit of a critic of the government, and eventually he left Venezuela. And he's been living in Colombia since 2018, I believe. So um, there have been media reports, uh, you, you know, before this, going back to last year, that Cleaver Alcala was building a kind of a mercenary army in Colombia with Venezuelan expatriate soldiers. And in, in March, he was indicted alongside Maduro and a bunch of other high-ranking Venezuelan government officials by the, by the United States government, right? They put a bounty on him. And in, in late March, right, like a few hours after the indictment was made public, Cleaver Alcala went on Twitter and he released a couple videos. He released four videos where he said, you know, I just want to come out and like set the record straight, basically. Like, I'm not one of the bad guys. I just got indicted. But like, just so that everybody knows, 
I'm here in Colombia, and I'm basically, I'm paraphrasing, he's like, I'm building an army to overthrow Maduro, and I have a contract that I've signed, that, that, that has been signed, sorry, he didn't say he signed it, he said, I have a contract that's been signed between the opposition leadership and my North American handlers. And he used that phrase a couple of times in this video statement, right, my North American handlers. And uh, at the time that video came out, um, I, I, I thought, who would sign a contract for a coup, right? Like, what? that doesn't make any sense. And I thought, I thought Alcala was lying. And like, who are the handlers? He's talking like, is the CIA? Like, why is he burning this? You know, he's just, he just got indicted. Like, why is he burning this, the, whoever his handlers are? It just didn't make any sense at all. So the contract that he was talking about is the contract with Silver Core USA, I think. Oh my uh, gosh. We just, I mean, we just didn't find out about it until Sunday evening when, when this contract came out and it clicked in my head and I'm sure in a lot of people, other people's heads, I was like, oh my gosh, this is the contract that Cleo Nicolai was talking about last week, uh, last month, that nobody I thought believed existed because why would you sign a contract for this? That is unbelievable. I read, I read some of those, uh, those charging documents, if I'm correct. They were indicted for uh, narcotics trafficking, I think, right? Among other yeah, things. correct, yeah. So yeah. I think what happened was that Alcala was, I think, he, I think Alcala thought that he was in his mind. He was like on on like the U.S. side. He he was like you know quote unquote one of the good guys. Like he was with the U.S. because he you know he really he really was like building I think this mercenary force. And so I think when he got indicted, he like got caught him by surprise. He was like whoa like you know you got what are you guys doing? Like I thought we we're on the same side, and that's why he can show that video. Uh, but he, you know, he's not. Uh, I mean, this is one of those stories where there aren't really like good guys. I think there's just like yeah. less. There's bad guys and like slightly less bad guys, maybe. Um, so I don't know what, which what category I would put him in, but I think a lot of Venezuelans would put him in like the squarely bad guy category because he, he again, he was part of the Chavez government for his whole life, really. I appreciate you bringing that up, that concept about uh, there's not always a good guy or there are no good guys. Yeah. And I was going to ask you at the end, but I'm just curious as like someone who's just not an expert in. Uh, Latin American politics and and in Venezuelan politics, so we do have these two, Maduro and Juan Guaido. I mean, what? Just as an expert yourself, I mean, who who should lead Venezuela, or is it somebody else entirely? Well, think? I mean, that's a. I could talk. You know, we could talk about this for literally <laughs> days. Um, okay, so here's here's what I I think. Um, I think that uh, Maduro probably won the the first election where he was elected like he just barely won i think he i think he probably won that like pretty fair and square mm -hmm. but the last election uh presidential election that was um i think uh not a fair election like it was completely uh like the results were, were falsified essentially to to make him win uh, maduro uh that's just a super quick version of, of him um when juan guaido came into the scene I think a lot of international uh, observers or people who weren't familiar with Venezuela saw his declaration of, you know, he declared himself president, right? Um, I think people saw that as like some kind of like dilution that this guy had. Like, how can you declare to him yourself president? Um, I think that um, he, there was legal grounds according to the Venezuelan constitution for him to do that. Uh, so again, it's not clear cut like, you know, Maduro is a bad guy, and then Guaido was crazy when he declared himself president, right? I think there was legal grounds to that um, for him to make that declaration. Now, you can declare yourself president even if you have constitutional grounds to do so, but if you don't have the ability to affect any kind of decision-making or power, then your declaration is like null, right? right. And that's the situation that he got him into right away. And it seemed like everything that he did was kind of absurd because he, you know, would go around saying, I'm the legitimate president. And it was like, well, great, but you're not in the, like, you're not, nothing that you say seems to be picking up any kind of steam or, 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 you know, affecting any kind of change because you don't have institutions with you. Right. So, you know, who should be, who should lead Venezuela? Ideally, mm -hmm. I think ideally, uh, there would be some kind of like Maduro. And this is my, if I could snap my fingers and like, what would happen? Um, this is what I think something that I think here's what I'd like to see. Uh, I'd like both Guaido and Maduro to uh, not run in an election. Okay. So Maduro steps down from power peacefully. 
you know, um, there's a there's an election. Neither Guaido nor Maduro can run, uh, but both sides can run candidates. Maybe now, in order for that to happen, you would have to completely rebuild the National Electoral Council, which are the people who run elections because they're the ones they're controlled by. I mean, they're they are the government, right? So they're the ones who rig elections for the government. You would have to completely rebuild the Supreme uh, Court because it is completely under the control of the government, right? So in order to get to up even a, an election, you would have to completely rebuild much of the Venezuelan state. And if that's such a far and away dream that I don't know if it would happen. So I'm sorry for, for ranting, but- Not at all. Really complicated, like who should run Venezuela? I think, I think there should, I don't know. I think there should be an election uh, that is guaranteed to be free, that the results are, are guaranteed to be uh, uh, you know, transparent, uh, but neither Maduro nor Guaido ideally are, are running, uh, just sort of try to start as fresh as possible. No, that's extremely, uh, informational and helpful. And for example, like, I don't know, like one of my, I guess, I guess you would call him like a left wing friend was real, you know, anti Guaido. And I always just, I, I sort of tried to explain, I was like, you know, I'm, you have to be careful just as a general thing in life, and especially in other countries' politics, you have to be careful when you don't know part of my language what the fuck you're talking about. Like, <laughs> you don't, you, you, the old boss sometimes and the new boss aren't that different. Yeah. Uh, and yeah. That's no, you know? No, sorry. I didn't mean to cut you off. That's a really no, no. good way of putting it. Yeah. Yeah. I totally agree. And, and that's what, that's what worries me about. You know, as a Venezuelan person, um, it, it, it's, it upsets me uh, to see. Yeah, the, I mean, sort of uninformed commentary coming from people who have big audiences. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I'm, I'm often left, my, you know, shaking my head and thinking like, oh, like these people just don't really know. Like they don't understand uh, that much about it or they have no content. Or they just recently came into this, uh, you know, and they, and they just decided to start talking about it because they learned about it last week. Um, yeah, that's a, <laughs> the way that you put it is perfect, I think. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, look, I mean, there's just when you don't know what what the fuck you're talking about, just you know, don't say anything. Yeah, <laughs> just yeah, yeah, or you know, yeah, exactly, yeah. Educate or educate yourself. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I want to bring something else up too, uh, and then we'll of course probably finish this up. Uh, but have you ever seen a movie called? Uh, it's a John Sayles movie. It's called Men with Guns. No, I haven't seen it. Yeah. It's been a very long time since I saw it, but it, it takes place and it might be a fictional. South American country. I don't. Uh, I don't remember exactly. But the reason I brought it up was that you you mentioned how it's a, it's sort of irrelevant if Juan Guaido declares himself president if you don't have the backing. And that's that's what Men with Guns was about. It was about that you know literally when you're the man with the gun, you control the situation. Mm-hmm. And so I've always. It's first of all, it's a phenomenal movie. It's about a doctor, as I recall. It's been like 15 years. It's about a doctor who goes into the sort of deep into the jungles somewhere in South America to find the students that he trained Mm -hmm. um, and about what's happened to them. And anyway, that's what it was about in so many places in the world, even in America, it's the, the men with the gun who, who controls the situation. Um, yeah, no, I'm, I'm going to look it up because it sounds like a good movie. Uh, and it sounds like it really perfectly describes the situation <laughs> in Venezuela today, as you're saying. Yeah, I mean, I think the, the biggest reason why Maduro is in power right now is because he has the, the backing of the military, like yeah. full stop. Uh, that's yeah. what it is. So, yeah, all of the guns or most of the guns in Venezuela are with, with Maduro. Yeah. yeah, there it is. So you can you can declare yourself, you can say you have 60 countries in the United States yeah. behind you. But yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Any uh, any final thoughts on the story on Bellingcat? Uh, I don't know where this wild story about mercenaries is going. Uh, yeah. Um, okay. I'll tell you what I kind of want to well, what I'm looking f- forward to in the news uh, uh, in terms of how this might resolve or continue to develop. Um, I want to know what will happen to Goudreau. I heard uh, I read a, a report. I think it was in the AP that he was possibly being investigated for weapon smuggling. Um, so I'd be by the U.S. Uh, U.S. authority. So I'm, I'm interested to see what happens. Like, does he go into hiding? Uh, does he flee the country? Does he get arrested? Does he not get arrested? Is Silver Core still existing and operating in six months? Right. Um, that's one thing. And the other thing I w- I'm really curious to see is how or if Guaido survives this. Um, we did see a statement from him yesterday uh, evening. Uh, that I thought was really unsatisfactory, and and based on the on the reaction that I saw on social media from commentators and journalists, I think a lot of people 
felt that he he you know sort of deflected sort of stuck to his guns i didn't i didn't sign any document this was uh uh you know this wasn't us uh and sort of the same kind of talk we are you know supported by so many countries etc so let's keep moving forward i don't know if i don't know if he can just sort of snap his fingers and make that happen um i'm i'm I, i'm wondering if he'll get arrested um um you know i think the government has um all of the all of the ammunition that it needs i mean you know figuratively and, and literally to to make a, a move on him finally after all these years um but i don't know if they will so I wonder, I wonder what will happen to him. I wonder if he'll survive this politically and if he might even be arrested. I'm sort of amazed. I don't know if you want to speak to this just briefly, but I'm sort of amazed that how does someone like him even not be arrested in, like now? Like, how is that possible? Yeah, so there's, yeah, that's a good question. I, I think there's a couple of things going on. I think the, the biggest one is that he is such a high profile person that uh, it might... It, it might cross a line, mm. both for factions inside the country and even maybe for international, uh, for the international community, for the United States and for uh, other countries. It might cross a line uh, to or, to arrest him to make to make a move on him uh, in that way. So I think in that's I think he's kind of protected by his high profile, um, and 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 so I think the government has been hesitant to to arrest him for that reason. Now people close to him have been arrested like people part of his team has been, has been arrested so the government has been you know in a certain way getting to him indirectly through um his his um uh you know some of his people i think that's probably the main the main factor um that's kept him out of prison so far maybe there's also um i don't know what sort of like behind the curtain political um um, movements there are in Venezuela, you know, maybe like like sort of like um, back channels uh, uh, cha uh, discussions that are taking place, maybe even between the opposition and the government, right? That might also be helping him to stay out of prison. I don't know if he has uh, sympathizers inside the government who are sort of protecting him. I, I don't know. That's like purely speculation. Uh, but I think his high profile is what's protecting, what's kept him out of jail uh, this long. But I don't know if that will save him now. That's a great point. Eventually, I mean, I have to be honest, like, I don't, I maybe can speak to this too. I don't see how, like, first from Maduro's perspective, he couldn't have asked for like a better, yeah. like, this is like a full on, like you said, even you didn't think at first that maybe this was true. Like, it sounds like something someone made up. Like, yeah. And, and uh, that's part of what the opposition's <laughs> saying, like that the government kind of did this on purpose. Uh, so, so we, so that Maduro did, I mean, we, the government has claimed that they had infiltrated this group for, for a while. Like they knew that this was happening, that this was coming. And as we outline in, in, this, uh, in the second article that, that, that we published on Bellingcat, there, I, there's evidence that the government knew that this was imminent as, 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 um, in, in late March. And we outline a couple of events that, that lead us to believe that. Um, so, so part of part of the opposition's claim also is that the government did this. But yeah, part of our earlier discussions as well, uh, w you know, we, we were thinking about like, yeah, if Maduro wanted to, he couldn't have written a better script for the ultimate uh, story to like vindicate everything that he's been saying about plots from the U.S. and mercenaries with the opposition and Colombia. Right? Like, so many of of the conspiracy theories that Maduro has been spinning for years are all encapsulated in this case so he couldn't have come up with you know you couldn't have hired a, a team of writers to come up with a better uh um a plot for maduro to take advantage of and the, and like i mean the, there's to the audience like there's so much more like these guys my understanding is like they they could have crossed on land but for some reason they took a boat and yeah yeah, yeah. i mean the border with colombia is is about two thousand kilometers a lot of it is unguarded um, yeah, yeah. It, 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 like I said, I think I said earlier, every, at every corner, every new development, every new piece of information that has come out of this has just been more confusing and it's just asked more questions than it's answered. Uh, it's just been such a, yeah, surreal ride. Yeah. I mean, the, the highlights live tweeting the raid, uh, oh, yeah, we didn't even talk about that. Yeah. But live tweeting the raid. Yeah. Yeah. He was doing that. He, he really was doing that, wasn't he? 
Yeah, he posted um, on, I think it was on Sunday night, he wrote, uh, there's a strike force headed to Venezuela right now. It's got 60 people in it, including two former uh, U.S. Green Berets, uh, you know, period. That was a tweet. And I went to sleep that night thinking again, like, okay, this is the, you know, this is, can't be true. Like, this is too stupid to be true. Um, and I went to sleep thinking it's, it's a joke or I don't know what it is, but it's not true. And then the next morning, yeah, two U.S. citizens arrested uh, on a boat attempting to infiltrate Venezuela. And it was them. He had, he had, he had tweeted about it as they were on their way to the country. Right. Right. Yeah. Uh and then one of the guys, when he's in custody, now I'm just, I'm just like trying to throw all in all the highlights. Like mm. he was, they say he was blinking in some kind of code to America. Like, well, true? yeah, uh, <laughs> right. Joshua, this is again, Joshua Goodman from the AP, um, um, has a tweet, um, where there's a point. So the Venezuelan government has interrogated both, um, Luke Denman and Aaron Barry, who are the two U S citizens. And, um, they've interrogated them on video and they've played the video on national TV. Right. And, you know, even without the blinking, which, you know, I'll get to in a second, you can tell like these guys are clearly being coerced, like in, into, you know, saying these confessions, right? Like it's a standard, you've been captured by a hostile, you know, force, confess to everything and more on video, right? Yeah. Um, and there's a point where they're asking Luke, who was like, who's in charge of Jordan? Or like, who's commanding this? Like, who's the guy at the top? Like, really, who's the boss of this? And Luke says, president trump and after he said president trump he like looks up and to the left in a really unnatural way mm. and so joshua goodman said I, I in the tweet um I, I might be misquoting it but it's it's in the article he says uh you know I've, I've spoken to u.s special forces guys who tell me like that yeah that's that's training uh that you get so that if you get interrogated and you say something that's not true you you do that sort of eye signal to tell the viewer uh it's not true what i've just said it's interesting how he remembered that part of his training, but not anything that would have stopped him from trying to invade Venezuela. Yeah, no. yeah. yeah <laughs> like, I know. I, I, that's another thing that I want to <laughs> want to look into in the coming days. Like, who were these? Who were these two guys? I mean, Vice has, has apparently found evidence that uh, Barry w was into QAnon. Like, he was following some QAnon um, uh, accounts on some of his social media. But yeah, I mean, who? I, I keep thinking, like, how did you get on, like, what were they thinking when they got on those boats, right? Like, as you're stepping off into this boat, you know, in the middle of the night, going to Venezuela, like, what was going through your mind? Like, did, did any of them really think that this had any chance of working, right? And I just, I, I don't know, I've, I've thought about that often during this week. Like, what was going through their minds when they're on this boat? Actually, you know? can, can you, if you have the time, can you, I mean, and if you don't, just cut me off and we'll be done, but sure. can, can you take me, can you, take us through since we're right at this point yeah. can you take us through this raid is that possible yeah like, um <laughs> okay yeah I'll, I'll talk to you about the two yeah sure let's do yeah let's do the makuta one which was the, the first raid so as far as we can tell um there were reports on social media on twitter really early in the morning um that there was some kind of police slash military operation out at sea off the coast of Makuta, which is a, 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 a part of a, a city in Venezuela just on the coast with the Caribbean. And um, there was a video on Twitter of a guy who was recording out into the ocean, right, from his apartment or his house. And you can hear shooting and there's a helicopter in the air and there's like police lights out in the water. And the guy saying like, whoa, there's like something going on out there, right? Um, that was the first boat that was intercepted. Um, and that is the boat on which um, eight of, of, of the occupants were killed and, and, and I think about it, 13 others were captured. Uh, so that boat, um, I don't know if they made landfall and then they had the fight and then, and then they, you know, some of them were killed or captured. I think that might have happened at sea. I think they were intercepted off the coast. Um, the government released pictures of the equipment that they were allegedly captured with. Uh, you know, they included weapons. There was some equipment, uh, like armor plates and a helmet. Wasn't and there a BB gun? Sorry to interrupt. This is the, this, <laughs> was there a BB? Yes. This, the, yes, there was a BB gun as well, right? Um, um, eventually there was a BB gun, yes. And there was also like vehicles that were, like some cars had machine guns on them that were waiting for them on land. And um, 
there was also a lot of identification, which also called into question early on, like, what, like, okay, really, like, if you're if you're a raiding mercenary force, like, do you bring every single piece of ID with you? So there was lots of IDs, um, and then eventually, yeah, there was a BB gun uh, that was found uh, in in another uh, cache. And it was a BB, you know, you could tell because the, the gun has... Um, it's an airsoft. It's an airsoft gun, yeah. It has like, the orange tip. And also, um, there was um, uh, another Twitter um, uh, sort of open source investigator, Abraxas Spa, um, who cited in the article, noticed that the gun also has the logo for an airsoft company, GNG Airsoft. Um, so yeah, it was an airsoft rifle uh, that was caught, but, but, which, which is weird because they also had real guns, right? So it's not like, it's not like they didn't, it's not like, I don't know, like they had yeah. real guns and real bullets and also like a airsoft rifle, right? Um, so, so that was the, 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 the first raid was the, um, the, the one that was captured on, on, um, on Sunday morning. And then the second one was the one that, um, um, Goudreau hinted at on, well, not hinted at, like revealed on Sunday night. Um, and that was a boat that was captured. Um, again, they surrendered at sea. There's video of them like surrendering as they're approaching the land. Um, and this was uh, slightly further uh, to the west in a, in a place called Puerto Cruz. And um, yeah, I mean, the images that we saw from that were uh, Barry and, and uh, Denman, you know, like on the ground with their hands behind their back. Uh, some of the guys were like in, ba you know, bathing suits and like shirtless. Uh, you know, not wearing, it's not like they were geared up for a military operation. It was like they were just wearing like casual clothing. Um, and they, they're the ones who got caught with, uh, supposedly, with, with this um, airsoft rifle. Wait, and, wait. Yeah. I'm sorry, I just want to clarify. You're saying that the, these guys who landed on this beach were, were wearing bathing suits? Some of them, yeah, some of them were. None of them was wearing like military gear, and I don't know if it's because they left Columbia, like they left their embarkation zone without the gear, or if they like threw it overboard. I, I, again, I've been thinking. I haven't slept a lot this week because I'm like, as I'm laying in bed, I'm like, okay, so where? The, so why would they have the BB gun? And one of the questions I've asked myself was like, why were they captured with no gear on? Uh, and I think, I don't know, maybe they threw it, maybe they, at some point on the boat ride, they said, you know what, like, this is probably a bad idea. Let's just mm. like, get into our civilian clothing and like throw all the stuff overboard. Maybe that's a possibility. But in the images that we saw, like right after they were captured, uh, they're not, nobody's wearing, they're just wearing bathing suits. Some of them are shirtless, you know, it's like they're, they were out of the beach. Like they were out on a boat just for fun uh, mm. is what it looks like. Yeah, yeah, just like the Normandy invasion, except not like that at all. <laughs> yeah, is is there any chance that that? I mean, because we're looking at footage that could be from I don't know. I'm, I'm not sure it's from any chance that that's pro government. Uh, you know, they they took their gear off and made them wear a bathing suit. I don't know. Anything. Yeah, um, I, I don't know. Uh, I haven't looked at the timeline of that footage. Uh, I will tell you though that. Um, th there are images and there are videos of the men raising their hands on the boats. Mm. On sorry, on the boats. There's the one boat. Uh, the, um, and so I don't know. I mean, for it to have been staged, they would have had to have found them, stripped them of their clothes, <laughs> put them back on the boat, send them back out a little bit to sea, and then yeah. them surrendering. Um, so I don't know. I don't know. I think I think they were just. Not, I think they weren't wearing military gear when they got detained. That's what I, that's what I think, just based on those videos that I saw. Well, look, my philosophy is, you know, if you're going to go down, at least go down looking good. Yeah, you know, and, that. and comfortable. Yeah. <laughs> this is unbelievable. Like, like it's like almost like I, I just I don't know what to say about this other than that. I I feel like I could just keep going. I mean, it's like I'm not going yeah. to because uh, <laughs> no, you deserve. Uh, yeah, it's 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 like yeah. This is again, as you mentioned, like I'm sure there's going to be movies about this and books, um, and we haven't heard like this isn't the end of it. Like there's going to be more that's that's going to come out about this because again, what's going to happen to Goudreau? What's going to happen to Guaido? Um, so this is an ongoing story. Right, Goudreau is under investigation for uh, I guess uh, arms trafficking or something like that. Allegedly, yeah. So allegedly, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, we will see. And uh, does Bellingcat have, I assume, there's going to be some follow-ups uh, coming? Uh, well, yeah, we're watching the situation. Um, yeah, we're watching it develop. Um, there was another, oh my gosh. I mean, it's 5.05. Uh, but let me, I'll <laughs> another, 
so another sort of new development. So um, a couple days ago, a Twitter account that is connected to the Venezuelan army tweeted a message saying that we have Russian advice, we have Russian soldiers who are helping us find these guys, like the Operation Gedeon guys who are still in the country. We're still looking for them and, and we're, we're getting Russian soldiers to help us is what they said in this tweet. They deleted the tweet immediately after, but the tweet was reported in the media, right? Because it's a big story. Like, oh my gosh, like confirmation from a, a, an account linked to the Venezuelan army that there's Russian soldiers. So uh, now the account is claiming that they never tweeted that out, that it's fake. But I found the hype, I found the URL to the, to the, to the tweet, mm -hmm. right? So that means that Twitter assigned a URL to a tweet that came from this account that no longer exists, right? I found that reference in a pro-government uh, website. So we know that the tweet existed. Now the army is claiming that it never existed. So, I mean, clearly, I think that suggests that there are Russian soldiers in Venezuela uh, who are looking for these guys, part of this operation. So I think that's something that I'm going to be looking at over the next couple of days, you know, maybe looking for evidence of this, of these operations involving Russian forces. Um, and yeah, you know, we're always on, <laughs> we're always on on TweetDeck, just like watching our columns uh, for developing news. And and um, yeah, I, I'm, I don't know if if there's anything else coming out in a couple of days necessarily. There might be, depending on what happens. We're just watching. <laughs> a third boat that is about to land. Oh. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I mean, it would it wouldn't be shocking, I think. And how do people find you on uh, Twitter and your, and your blog? Can you tell people where to find? Oh, sure. That? Yeah. So on Twitter, I'm at uh, at uh, G I A N Fiorella, and my blog is in venezuela.com. Um, yeah. So I'm 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 always on there. And of course, uh, everybody can find you and all the other great investigators at a uh, Bellingcat. Yes. The home of online investigations, uh, just doing phenomenal work. I can't thank you enough for uh, telling us this bizarre story with the expertise that you have. No, it's, it's been a pleasure. It's, it really has. Thank you for listening. Follow Forensic News on Twitter at Forensic Newsnet. Counterintelligence is at IntelPod. My personal account is Eric LeVay. Support Forensic News on Patreon. Subscribe to Counterintelligence everywhere you listen to podcasts. This is Eric LeVay, and this is Counterintelligence.